coming from the book of Isaiah, the 58th chapter in the ninth verse, about praying, prayer. This would be one of Sister Harris's messages. She loved it to study it, preaching on prayer, crying out to God, uh, praying to God for help. See the terminology in the Bible, cry out most of the time. It's asking, uh, talking about asking God, or seeking God for help, or looking unto God, making a request unto God. And it says, verse 9 says, Then shall thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If thou take away, if thou take away from the midst of thee, the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and speaking vanity. He goes on to say certain things that they were doing. He wasn't listening at their prayers. They had stumbling blocks before them. They had offenses. We read in the New Testament where he says, uh, if you, before you offer your gift at the altar, uh, your prayers or whatever, that God can't hear your prayer if you have sin in your life. He heareth not the prayer of sinners. And these people were fasting and saying God wasn't taking note of them fasting or whatever. And here he points out the sin and what they were doing, some of the things that they were doing. And God, he points out sin or he makes known I was transgression. And this is how this chapter started. He says, cry aloud and show my people their transgressions, their sins. And through life sometimes, we'll go through life, or many, even the saints of God, well, more or less the saints of God, go into death, some of them, carrying away some unanswered prayer or something because of some problem in their lives, a weight or sin that they didn't, they didn't move out or they didn't work on an area in their life where they were slow for. And we hear prayer, prayers called incense, uh, offering, offering up incense unto God in the New Testament, the sweet spell of our prayers. But also our prayers could become a stench in God's eyesight and God not answer our prayer. It's according to our life character and motivations and a lot of times prayers is not asked answered because of selfish motivations and that's what he was telling them for some of the things that they were fasting and praying for but they still were self-centered they were self-seeking pleasure of themselves and sometime in the 57 or the 56 chapter we see where we're seeing the righteous is taken away and no man taking it to heart or what happens. Just like the righteous blood of Abel that cried out from the earth unto the Lord. And he told Cain, he says, your brother, brother's blood cried out from the earth unto me. So we see where people continue to cry out to God. And that's a, a literal meaning in some places. And then some places it's taken to where... You know, a figurative, a, a way that God has a future judgment against people. Well, coming in the book of Revelations, the sixth chapter, the ninth through the eleventh verse, the souls that were beneath the altar, it says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, doest thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they should be, as they should be, as it should be fulfilled. So we see here, they were persistent in prayer. They, they never gave up prayer. 
And that's one type of prayer is a persistent prayer where you keep on praying even though you don't see the fruit of the prayer, uh, the answer to the prayer. God answers prayer in his own time. And I'll talk a little bit more about that the next time we talk about prayer somewhere in, in the preaching and teaching on prayer about seeing things from God's perspective and God doesn't necessarily, prayer doesn't necessarily change things, but a lot of times it changes our view of things. It aligns us with God, and we start to be able to see things from God's perspective. God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes in and communicates with our spirit. It gives us understanding. It gives us wisdom as to why what God is doing and explains a lot of time. That's what Job should have been petitioning for. And we don't see where he gave Job by answer understanding Job, even though Job said that he did see more clearly and he understood God better. But prayer more or less aligns us with the will of God and it keeps us, uh, sometimes we don't see those answers as these souls under the altar was kind of still praying and asking the Lord, how long was he going to take? When was it going to transpire? They they knew he was a God of vengeance and they had died being passive. In other words, they were killed for his namesake or they held his testimony. They were faithful even until death. And that's what he says, we have to be faithful even unto death. And so these were people that were marred or killed for the name of Christ but he was going to take vengeance, but that prayer, the prayer that they were answering, he says, just rest a little while longer. Here's your white robes and here's the things of rest. And he, and he typified them as not being weary souls, but being souls that was looking forward to the promises and the reward of God. God actually sees our heart. He looks at the heart. Well, as I was saying that God sees the heart and God knows the condition in which you're asking like when Cain was petitioning the Lord and came and offered up his offering to God and his offering wasn't accepted. He asked Cain, why was he in the disposition he was? He says, why, why art thou wroth? And he says, uh, if thou doest well, will not then sacrifice be accepted, that offering be accepted. I keep saying sacrifice because prayer is actually sacrificed. David made that statement that prayer would sacrifice, but maybe we'll get to that Wednesday or whatever. But he says that your, your offering or your prayers would be accepted, your sacrifice would be accepted, he says, but sin lieth at the door. In other words, he had thoughts of vengeance. He, I don't know how long after this did he kill Abel, but as I was saying, there's a lot of people with things inside of them, inside the heart, that keeps their prayers from being answered because prayer is conditional. When Jesus said, whatever you ask or whatever you need, ask the Father in my name and that he will do, but we, it has to be according to God's will in its certain conditions that prayer would be met in. But there is a saint of God that was praying unto God, and this was a Gentile. That's why I say God hears a God. God is this. All souls belong to God, and this was a Gentile, and God had given Peter a vision to go to him. But Cornelius in the book of Acts, Acts the 10th chapter in the first verse, it says, there was a certain man of Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the, of the band called the Italian band. He was a devout man and one that feared God with all of his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God. And many others, he sees the feelings of the, throughout the people. I think it was Hannah that was praying to God and Samuel seen, I mean, Eli seen her praying, and he thought she was drunk or whatever, and he had granted her petition to her. But God sees the brokenness of the contrite heart. He sees the condition 
that you come to him. He, he examines the inner person, the inner being, as to why we are asking. Are we asking and consuming up on our own lust, up on our own needs? Uh, is it through pride? Or, or what, what's the motivation for asking what we ask? And then, like I say, he sees the heart of many other people, and he sees every, everything is naked before God. He sees the tender feelings we have toward the plights of other people and our desire to help others. That's why those that are intercessors are those that pray a lot of intercessory prayer. And I tell you always to keep interceding and praying for your children, your relatives, and pray for people that maybe you don't even know because the Colossian church, I think it was Epaphroditus that had established that church but Paul prayed for the Colossian church, but he hadn't seen them face to face. I don't think he had seen the Laodicean church, but he prayed for them and offered up words to them. As I was saying that we're praying for the Palestinians and those in Ukraine and the Congo and the Sudan and different places because our heart goes out as the people in the book of Ezekiel where it says, they were signing and mourning for the things that were going on within Jerusalem, within the city. And we being on a larger scale, and this is a global or world market to where we can see the plight of others all throughout the world, and we see that the world is in a pitiful condition today. The world is filled with evil and violence and injustice and oppression, and that we pray to God. We, we should be all intercessors praying for one another. Yes. He notes the patience and the forbearance and true outgoing concern we have for the brethren in the church. And uh, I, I remember one brother had left the church or whatever, I preached at his funeral or whatever. His, his children wasn't too inviting or whatever at that thing, but she, his daughter had asked me to preached a eulogy or whatever, but he had left the church uh, because of some conflict of views in which uh, he had with us, and he got upset one day, one night, we were eating dinner together, several of us was eating dinners, and he left the church, but I continued to pray for him, and he said he was always praying for me, and that one day he would make it back by, which he never did, but I went and ate with him a couple of times while he was at the nursing home, and the afternoon, the day before he died, you know, I was brought him a seafood dinner or whatever, talked with him. We should pray for the people in church. If we see the people in the book of uh, the seven churches in Asia, the church, seven churches, a lot of those was in bad condition. They were following after the doctrine of Balaam and. Jezebel and that, that was a, the Nicolaitans and they had a lot of conflict but <clears throat> we should pray for one another and sometimes that's where the most injury most injury comes in the churches is from friendly fire Paul had to talk to Phoebe and some other people in the, in some of the churches Eudas, that the women would stop feuding with one another whatever because we're all people just like two married individuals coming together and there's different opinions and conflicts and the spirit maybe has not been allowed or permitted to work in, in each and every one of us as much as it sh we should have allowed it to do because the spirit works in a voluntary form. I tell you the spirit comes into you and we allow it. To, it'll cleanse our lives but there are things that we have to necessarily do because there's a human spirit in man also that that brings trying to bring you into bondage. It's an evilness or a wickedness of our human spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes in, that's what it communicates and talk to talks to us through our human spirit, not through the outer man. Uh, God knows the deep love we have for those who request our prayers for healing. Uh, now, you know, a lot of people actually pray for us and pray for the healing or whatever, and, and we receive them without doubt for disputations or whatever. 
and we pray sincerely for them a lot of times, but sometimes the basis of the healings or why they, the healing is not there, their salvation or whatever, it may be all a different matter. Yeah. I, I don't think a lot of people went through it as it was going, Jesus was going around healing and the miracles he had done. Those miracles could be reversed or whatever if their life wasn't seeking God and being gracious and praise praise God and being thankful for what God had did. As with a, a woman caught in adultery, he says, sin no more unless a worse thing come upon you. So just because God does something for you, that doesn't mean it's a permanent thing. It's just like Nineveh had seen a great revival when John, when, um, Jonah came there preaching. The whole city went into sackcloth and ashes and fasting when he came and preached that yet 40 days and none of us shall be destroyed. It was such a great repentance that God didn't destroy the city, but some 110 maybe years later, they had slipped back into their evil ways and the destruction came upon Nineveh. And we'll see that in Nahum, I think, where Nahum prophesies of the destruction of Nineveh because it returned to the state to which it was in. God is acutely aware of our attitudes when approaching the throne of grace. That's why I say we can't have an attitude, a disposition of wanting to kill our brother, uh, a different state of mind coming before God in prayer because he sees our thoughts and our mindset and it's not the mind of Christ. A lot of times I come in to pray a corporate prayer. You get down to pray to God. You want to make sure it, you have emptied yourself of anger and that you, you kind of think as to what you could say to God and he says be not rash with your prayers or with your voice or with your speaking or whatever. We have to reverence God and the God that we're going before we have to go before him into the proper mindset. Mm -hmm. We can't go before him thinking one thing and living a different way. He says, let that man, the double-minded man, the unstable in all of his ways, don't think you can live or do anything one way and then live before God and ask God to do you that way. It's like sweet and bitter coming out of one fountain. These things ought to be so. God discerns whether we consider time spent in conversation with him to be of great value or whether we are just going through the motions each morning when I get up to pray or whatever. It's not by rote that I just get down and rush down and say, oh, our Father, we're trying to have him in praying or whatever. Sometimes it may take a different way or whatever, but I have to have that conviction to pray. We, we come before God with conviction in reverence, if you've jumped up, you late and other things going on, and you running behind to get to work, and you've overslept or something else have happened, and something else have impinged in, then you say, well, hold on, let me get my prayer, and let me just pray to God, and pray and run through the prayer right quick, and then just to beat and pray, that's ritualistic prayer. So, so you just putting God in as a matter of ritual you're not reverencing who you coming before you're not coming before him right he says call on me in the day of trouble or whatever so it may be a lot of people sometimes god says you let it your prayers or let your words be few it's not the redundancy of how long we pray or whatever you just may say god you know and say something to him before leaving or later on in the day or whatever, you'll be convicted to pray because I was so busy this morning and going out that I left out and forgot to pray. And let me stop and pray to God. My day is not going right. Up. This is it had impinged upon my life. Well, that way, prayer is not ritualistic, but prayer is being led by the Spirit. It's His Spirit that's communicating with your Spirit at that time. And before you, we go into situations each morning when I have uh, prayer and everything, I ask God to lead me through the day and in the decisions I'm making or whatever. And I stay in a prayer for, I understand what Paul says, pray always and cease not to pray because 
I'm always praying whether I'm driving or whatever I'm doing. I'm in conversation with God and realizing that this sovereign God is with me wherever I am and whatever I'm doing. So that way it'll stop you from, you know, a lot of people curse and do all kinds of manner of things and have such temperamental flares or whatever, not realizing I'm in the presence of God. God is sovereign. He's here. He's omnipresent. And I have to respect that. How can I say, well, Lord God, you see what's going on or what has happened. And that's why when I call on God when I'm in trouble, because why? He was right there. He seen me getting in trouble. And I'd already prayed to him to lead me not into no temptation, but to deliver me from evil. So it wasn't that I was on a crash course to do this. Is that I fell into sin. I stumbled and I pray for deliverance from that. David was in a wayward way. It was a time, it says, when kings go to war. So what was the reason why he wasn't at war, but an idle mind, an idle hands is a workshop for the devil. So he had woke up late and he looked from his balcony and he seen Bathsheba bathing. So he wasn't following what he should have done. When we wander from the path, he had wandered from the path he should have been at war. He should have been doing something else. So when we have a tendency to go in pathways or places we shouldn't go or whatever, the prayer must be uh, the first thing to do is say, Lord, I went astray before I was afflicted that I brought this up on myself. Daniel in the in the book of Daniel, when he's praying in the ninth chapter in the praying, he says, we have seen it was time to return from captivity, but he says him and his people had sinned and they were their own self cause of being where they were. So prayer should go before us and that's what he's saying here to these people that their prayer life wasn't something God would honor or whatever because they were doing the same thing even while fasting to God they were still working and doing evil. Their mindset, their attitude, and their motivation was all evil. So they couldn't be in communication with God. God wasn't hearing their prayers. He wasn't seeing their fasting because it wasn't offered in the right state of mind. Their condition wasn't fertile ground. They hadn't prepared for to be heard of God. Because he knows what we are going through at all times. He knows when we are harboring grudges, doubts, malice, lust, impatience, covetousness, and any other carnal motivations against another. And those are the things that defile a man. Those are the things that causes hemorrhaging. In other words, that causes blockage from us being able to flow that God's spirit would flow in and through us and we communicate with God. All of those things grieve the spirit of God because remember when I was talking about the Holy Spirit yesterday, that it's a personage. It's the essence of God. It's the spirit in man that he gave us as a gift to lead us and guide us and we're not respecting the spirit within us. We're grieving the spirit. A quenching the spirit. Those things grieve or quench the spirit. Certainly he realizes that we will not be at all our best every time we enter into his presence. But he can tell when we are distracted or disinterested. And so I said, no use going to prayer. And that's one thing about prayer. And I said, you have to be in a, a proper state of mind and prepare yourself to go and pray to God. There are, are instances that you may rush in God's presence and say, Lord, help me out or pray to God and, and call upon God in dire straits. Yes. But that shouldn't often be the case. Often it should be the time when you enter into your prayer closets, when you enter in with reverence and maybe go before him with silence to calm yourself in his presence and get your thoughts and things together. You've been all throughout the day meditating in his word and the things of God. Now you have things in its proper perspective to go and talk to God and 
speak to God so that you wouldn't be saying a lot of jumble up stuff. You know, I hear people praying and they're talking about this and that, and especially if you're praying for the church or praying in front of other people or praying where it's public and people hear your prayer and they're like, what in the world is he or she talking about? They're over here, they're over there, they're speaking this, and, and it's, it's, a lo- it's a hodgepodge of talking, and it's not a conversation that follows any specific dialogue. It's not flowing as where when you're praying to your father, you're talking to him as you would to your father. He says, Heavenly Father, and you come in and you tell him what you want. You want to be as specific as possible. You want to let him know your feelings and emotions because he sees them and knows them anyhow. So this way is coming from your spleen, in other words, from your innermost being, from the heart. It's how you feel or what you are. It's not to entertain the people around you, and it's not just saying something. This is actual thought, something that you have meditated, something that you brought before God, that you're not wasting his time and not babbling before God. Now, that's why he had given us of his spirit. He's given us the Holy Spirit, the promise of God, which guides us and leads us into all truth. The Holy Spirit aids us in our prayer. He was given to lead us and guide us. And that's why we must be submissive to the Spirit. But in, in, in essence, also, we have to study God's Word. We have to know God's Word. Know what God expects of us and know what goes along with the Word of God. Meditate in God's Word and hide in God's Word in our heart. It says in Isaiah the 11th chapter, in the second verse, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, just like it rested upon Jesus. It rests upon each and every one of us. He said he he had given us of his Spirit. He had sent the Spirit. He shall be with you. He shall dwell in you. He's the one that's going to lead and guide you. So what happens, you must submit. You must die daily, he says. Take up your cross and deny yourself and follow after me. In other words, that old man, that mindset, there has to be a transformation of your thinking, your thought process. You have to let another mind come in that you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, so you need the mind of God. Because our thoughts and ways are not like his thoughts and ways. It says the spirit of wisdom will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and of the reverential obedient fear of the Lord. That obedient fear of the Lord should displace the fear of man. It should displace the fear of the world. It should displace all these other things and it should be ever increasing in you. If we lacking understanding and wisdom, we should ask God for it in his spirit. If we meditate on his word and studying his word, if we start walking on that, if we walk by faith, that comes and that's what strengthens the inner man. It says it'll be health or strength to your bones. Not only the physical bones, but the spiritual bones, the inner man, the inner self. It should strengthen him. God's spirit imparts wisdom and understanding. It teaches his way of life, comforts, and helps us. That's the other comforter. He says, I'll send you another comforter. And it's going to show you the way because he's going to show you those things that will be of me that I have revealed unto him. He's going to reveal it unto you. So all this comes at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, even when we cannot express ourselves in our prayers, the Spirit aids us in making our requests before God. And we may go into that Tuesday, Wednesday, where it makes groan and utterances that we don't. Sometimes I come before God, I don't know actually what to pray for. 
when God feels and sees you in that condition, the earnestness, the effectual prayer, the hurt, the brokenness, the spirit prays for us. It makes intercession for us. That's why the spirit was given. So as the spirit does that, it's in line with Jesus Christ. It's going to testify of Jesus Christ, not of itself. And through the spirit praying and connecting with Jesus Christ, the advocate which is in heaven, our Jesus Christ, our advocate with the Father, he offers these things to us. Earnestness, earnestness. And uh, earnestness I'll talk, teach on. I'm not going to teach on that right now. I need to get back to this transformation. But it has to be from the heart. It has to be uh, concern for others. Uh, the man in the book of Luke 11, chapter in the 6th verse that had a friend that came in the middle of the night who was on a journey had come for the visit and he had didn't have anything to put before him. Sometimes we have to tell others or we have to acknowledge our brokenness, our lack, our poverty. And acts means requesting something often of a superior. So you he goes to his neighbor in the middle of the night and through persistent prayer, through persistent praying and asking, and asking God to open up the heart of the neighbor so that you could put this, so that's almost a double intercession. You're intervening for this friend that has come by, but you're also praying God that he would give you favor uh, to, of this neighbor that you're about to go ask to help you out of the situation. So you praying to God that you would be able to help somebody, but you also praying to God that this person, you God would grant you favor with that person so that you will be able to carry out your request to the, for the other person. The earnestness of it, in other words, you see things and situations as is in in it's a, a dedication to God to do the right thing because he says you know what is required of you to live humbly with the Lord thy God and to do justice to do good in other words and that's what you're attempting to do good we were created for good works yes. so if we hear Jesus Christ has put us here to do that and whatever we need and if this is the furtherance of, key, of the kingdom if this person has come to you and Jesus has sent this person, this is for kingdom benefit. This is to glorify God. It's not to glorify itself. It's to let your light show that you're a child of God or whatever. And you let that request be known unto the Father, and he'll grant that. So that way you can go to that neighbor in the middle of the night with hope and faith that he will give you the request that you're asking of him. It's because... Your spirit has confirmed you are a child of God, and this is something you wouldn't do otherwise. Seek means to endeavor to find a thing, to try to gain it, to strive after it with earnestness and zeal. So you're persistent in doing this, and you're trying to get this achieved in the spirit of the Lord. And by God's guidance, and you're in all earnestness doing this. Knock is a request for permission when the way is closed and here you don't have anything you're not able to help assist this person but you knocking or you granting a petition of someone that's in a superior or someone in a greater position and that's why I say we always take the request to God because God works through man Yes, I think what jo Joram Josiah Joash or whatever he, his wife when she came to God the reason God said he wasn't going to heal him was that he sought the doctors of the gods of the other people first. We always are to seek God first. It says, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added to you. So whatever we do, it, Jesus Christ has the preeminence in it and that we, have, we see Jesus Christ as being sovereign over our actions and that He's in control of the situation and that he's the door opener. He's the way. Yes. Yes. Okay. 
Prayer is a process of transformation. This this is where I was trying to get to. Hopefully I can get through this in the next half of this teaching. First Peter 16 through 17. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without respect of persons judge it according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. That's the King James. The Living Version puts it a little bit more simplistic for me to give it to you. He says, He himself has said, You must be holy, for I am holy. And remember that your heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites when he judges. God is impartial. He's not partial. He's impartial, so he has no favorites. That's why he says in the book of James, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man yielded much. And he tells us why Elijah was a like man as we of the same passions and things as we were. And he prayed earnestly. That that goes back to what we just talked about. In earnestness that it wouldn't rain for three years. That his prayers would be answered. It would be glory to God. It would bring about the situation in which God would be glorified. It wasn't for him the lack of rain or whatever. It, it was all about God and God's judgment. And continue on, it says, To whom you pray, he has no favorites when he judges. He will judge you with perfect justice for everything you do. So act in reverent fear of him from now on until you get to heaven. So that's who we fear and reverence. Everything we do is in fear and reverence of God. It's with God in sight, that in God's presence, and that we were created for good works, and I'm a servant of God. I'm a bond servant of Jesus Christ. My job is please do, do pleasing God. To, I'm a man after God's own heart, and I want him to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The spirit reproductive process is not solely God's work in us, but we also play a role in what is happening, and that's what I say it's not just automatic God chose you and all of this is going to happen. No, we have a role to play and that's why we hear free moral agencies come in. It's not that we free moral agents to do these things in such a way. It's just that by faith we believe that God's promises in his word that's why we have to hear his word preached. That's why we have to study and meditate his word because our guidance, our standard is the word of God. He's writing that upon our hearts, and we're trying to please God. And like I say, we're not being legalistic about it. When I was telling you about praying, a prayer becoming ritualistic, where the people were telling God, we prayed and fasted, and you hadn't heard us or whatever. That's because it was a ritual unto you. You was doing it, and the other conditions wasn't there. Uh, the work of God in this world is the implantation of his spirit in us, which gives us the barest elements of the divine nature. And then he works on the growth and perfection of holiness in his people. Now, hearing the word of God, and I was talking about the common grace yesterday in unity. We know enough of God in God's word of preaching. It says the grace of God had appeared to all men. That appearance of grace doesn't mean that all men will be saved or that's grace or that saving grace a saving salvation. It's, that's just hearing. That's why we are to preach and declare the word of God and speak it loud and with simplicity to do the work of the evangelist. That's the bare essentials. Have you ever heard something or seen something, but it touched a chord in you? In other words, this preaching had an effect. This preaching awakened something in you. Well, God had to plant that something that it awakened in you. God has to put that in you. Yes. He has to do that. And, and if God doesn't do it, it doesn't get done. And you won't hear God. You won't see God. And you can't understand God. But we are, that's something that we must do, though. We must witness. We must be witnesses. We must try to make disciples. Yes, 
Now that's why I say God is not partial. He's impartial. That's why we have to tell everybody we meet. Tell everybody we know. We don't know who God's going to choose. We don't know who God's going to pull. We don't know who, who this falls on. He says, Apollos planted, I watered, but God give it the increase. God give it the increase. Yes. We are part of a work of transformation, of conversion to holiness. So as we, it says, taste of the Lord and he is good. Taste and see. In other words, as we start to hear the word of God, as we start seeing as faith start coming in, we love it more and more. This is something. The Word of God, what it does, it starts to create a hunger in us. We want to go to church more. We want to pray. We want to try these things more. It says try the spirits. We want to have faith that this is going somewhere. This is changing me. I'm becoming different. This, this does have an effect in my life. I, I, I feel this. That I don't see it. But I feel it through faith I see it. That, that's the eyes of faith I see it. And I believe and trust the word. I'm, yes. I'm trusting yes. and believing as yes. to what I'm hearing about this man called Jesus. Yes. That he did do this. That he did send his spirit back. And that spirit is in me. That's the spirit that's communicating to me. That's the spirit that said, this is the way. Walk in it. This is the church. This is the place to go. It is here that prayer fits into the picture because Peter writes, and if you call on the Father, and that's what we open with, God will hear you when you call. I call and say I'm in trouble. I'm slipping by the wayside. I, I can't achieve this. I did something wrong. Now I realize that I didn't teach my children this. I, I realize that I said this on the job. I, I'm convicted. In other words, the Spirit is convicting me. It's, it's reproving me of sin, and I'm calling on the God. I'm in a fix that I can't get out. I can't get myself out of. I need you to get me out of. My enemies have encompassed me around. The situation is overwhelming me. Yes. God, can you hear? Can you pull me out of the Mari clip? Because I can't go to my spouse. She or he don't know what I'm going through. I, I can't talk to my brothers and sisters. I, I feel good talking to you. It's a comfort to read your word. It's a comfort that your spirit is what comforts me. Yes. Without your spirit, I, I have no, I lack joy. Your spirit gives me peace. It gives me peace in the inner man. So I'm crying out to God. That, that the spirit's leading me to these things. That That's a feeling in me. Mm, yes. That's something that is prayer. Prayer is an integral part of the obtaining, the achieving, the process of transformation from the glory of man to the glory of God. Prayer is central. That's why the, the disciples was weak in their prayer life. He says this kind only goes out by prayer and fasting because prayer is a sacrifice. It's hard. Praying is hard work. Praying to God is realizing and seeing, but it also is trusting upon God, believing upon His Word. Prayer fits right into the scheme of all this. We notice that Jesus rose up early in the morning to go away in the mountains and pray to a quiet place. He, he needed this guidance. Prayer is communication with God. We must still, we must always continually talk with the tower it comes through the airways that we're speaking and we know that this this voice this this god that's way out there he hears us we know he hears us and we know this spirit is telling us that we are children of god and he hears us when we pray the holy spirit if you're dealing with computers or you know the the, the definition for the word interface Interface. Interface uh, is, I, w I thought I had wrote the definition of interface down here, uh, but an interface is something that uh, the place at which independent and often unrelated systems meet and act 
on a communicate with each other uh, interface. The place at which independent, that's two different unrelated systems meet and act on and communicate with each other. Within us, God, Holy Spirit, acts as this interface. It speaks to our spirit. It communicates with us. The inner man. The spirit himself testifies and confirms together with our spirit, assuring us that we are children of God. The spirit assures us. That's the interface. It works with us. That's why he says, I give you another comforter. This comforter is the interface. Uh, it says, the living says, for his Holy Spirit speaks to us in deep, us deep in our hearts and tells us that we are really God's children. That's why we have to hear God's word because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And this is the, the word of God. It's a living word. It actually is life. If we abide in the word and the word abides in us, his words are life. They're life giving. That's the lifeline of us. That's our lifeline. His word is our lifeline. Well, let me continue on with this. John, the sixth chapter in the 44th verse, it says, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Amplified reads, giving him the Spirit of God has to give us the desire to come to God. That's why I say, we can't go to God. Brother Riley, older man, and I used to always go to his house and talk. He was one of my mentors. We would talk together or whatever. But he say, you can't go to God. God has to draw you to him. No man can come unto the Father but by the Son, but the Son has to reveal the Father unto you. You have to be drawn to God. You can't just go to God. Jesus is the vehicle. He's our way to get to God. That's why through his death, all this occurred through his death. This is We were reconciled to God. We were thrown out to God. We couldn't communicate with God except through the death and the blood of Jesus Christ who reconciled us back to God. He had put Adam out of the garden. He didn't have a lifeline. He didn't have nobody he could call because he was excommunicated from God. He said, let's put him out of the garden lest he eat of the tree of life, of the tree of knowledge of good. And he had ate of the wrong tree, but unless he eat of the tree of life and live in this condition forever, so man had a soul that can die. That's why Adam died, because he wasn't in communication with God. If we abide in the Word and the Word abide in us, we'll live forever because His Word abide forever. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but His Word will be here. That's why we have to stay in the Word. <clears throat> so God draws us. God gives us the desire. God has to implant the desire. Everything comes from God. God is the initiator of all this. I told you about that last week. Initiate. God initiates. He makes the first step. Jesus said, I've chosen you. You hadn't chosen me. We were part of the ones that God had given unto the Son. Our calling, our life in Christ, begins when the Father directly interfaces with our minds for the purpose of revealing himself. So, through the Spirit... God communicates with our spirit. That's the interface, the Holy Spirit. It communicates with our human spirit. There's a spirit within man, that human spirit, that God's spirit interfaces with our spirit. Let me go on. Maybe I can get here before I have to stop this. It reveals... That's why I say we have to study God's word. We have to meditate in that word. But we also have to stay praying to God. All of these is conditioned. And in other words, you see all of the components of this interface. Revealing himself, his ways, his purpose, his plan, his mind, his attitude, 
his perspective, his character, his power, his mercy, his forgiveness, and on and on. That we might use our life and free moral agencies to choose life. Here's good and evil. Choose life. The Holy Spirit, he's guiding and leading you all truth. This is the way walk in it. This is the narrow path. Don't go over that. That's the broad way. Don't go that way. The Spirit, if we study and meditate in the Word, it's going to lead us in the path of righteousness. Those that are the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. So don't get off the path. Humble ourselves. It works through obedience here. It works through obedience. That's why it says choose life. I set before you life and death. Adam chose the wrong door. He chose door number two. We have to choose God. Prayer is a sacrifice. That's where I was. I think I was getting the prayer being a sacrifice. I'll go deeper into this next week if I can. If not, we'll just have to do it some other time. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You remember I told you a transformation of the mind, that that interface is changing us. It says, let us create man in our image, in our likeness. And then I told you, it's God the Trinitarian, God the Father. Whatever we need, Jesus asks the Father in his name. But Jesus says, I was, I'm going to send the Spirit another company. He's going to be in you and dwell in you. That's what's going to lead you and guide you in the way Jesus is sitting on the throne. He's completed. He was the archipagos. He was the leader. He was the one that set that path. He was our Daniel Boomer, David Crockett. He went before. He was the trailblazer. He showed us the way. We're to walk in that path. As we walk it in that path, that path could be beaten down and beaten down. Our children should be able to follow that path. That's why Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Let me read this in the Amplified Version before I go further. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies by dedicating all of yourself as a burnt sacrifice. In other words, it's you died to self. You give all the self. It's consuming. God is a consuming God. He wants all of you, not just a part of you. Set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing unto God which is your rational, that is the logical, intelligent act of worship. That's the way you worship, by presenting your body as a sacrifice. Do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed. That's over a period of time. Faith cometh by hearing, it by walking. It's an ever-increasing faith. We go from faith to faith, and that's why I say as you grow in faith, Abraham, it took him some 30-some years before he staggered not at the promise of God because we can see doubt. We can see errors in there where he talk, lied on Sarah twice that she was his sister. We can see some kind of little bit of, but that he was looking for God, and that's why I say we all would make mistakes along the way. But he was the father of faith. In other words, he believed God and he staggered not at the promises of God. In other words, we have to totally follow God. It says, be transforming progressively as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes. That's what I say. A moral decency ascends. Ethical attitudes progress. Our ministers and our political leaders are no longer moral. They're no longer ethical. 
but it's degenerated into a mess. That's why we mourn inside because of the condition of the nation we in. He says, so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight. As we do the will of God, we begin to know the will of God. We begin to know that this is God. But most important is that the Father himself does this. That's why I say the Father never just leaves it alone. God the Father is all present because even though he had given us the Spirit to dwell in us and lead us, he says, if you would do these things, the Father and I will come in and live and sup with you. In other words, they will have fellowship with you. God miraculously joins his mind to our minds. There's nothing mysterious about this at all. The mystery of godliness comes through assimilating his word. Prayer is a catalyst, fast as a catalyst. It ha- that's our spiritual muscle. Because we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're putting flesh and blood to death. We are wrestling against powers and principalities, evil and wickedness in high places. He begins to transfer his thoughts to our mind through this interface of the spirit. His Holy Spirit through our human spirit. It's like a transformer. Outside on those posts, a neighborhood has a transformer up there. If that transformer out blows out, that whole neighborhood is in darkness. That's because that transformer carries a whole lot of power to it, but it's in such a measure, it's in such a transition, it has to be channeled to those other lines, which is 220 lines and 110 lines, to carry the circuit, or it would blow the circuit. They're not the same. The transformer changes the energy coming there. Well, what the Holy Spirit does, Jesus Christ gives him the revelation and he gives it to us. His attitudes, his character, the spirit of his mind into our minds. All of this comes into our minds. A lot of times in our sleep, in times of deep meditation, it searches with deep within man because the mind, the mind of man is like a light, a lamp shining around in there. And if it's born again, it's looking for the truth. It's being strengthened by the spirit, that transformer, that juice coming in from the Holy Spirit. It's cleansing the house. It's sanctifying. It's causing you to be holy. It's pursuing, you're pursuing holiness. That's what you're looking for, the things of God, because be ye holy because I am holy. You're being changed. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Your fruit is ripening within you. You're trying to allow this fruit to ripen within you. His character, the spirit of his mind into our mind. When he tells us, grieve not the spirit of God, he means... Don't grieve the Father by resisting Him. This is the Spirit of truth, and I tell you, the Holy Spirit is a personage. It's a He. You grieve Him. Don't sometimes your wife causes to grieve. Aren't you grieved by your wife or children? Or people have a tendency to grieve you. When, you, when something or someone grieves you, normally things don't turn out right. It causes a problem here. Grief. Grieving causes a problem. He is transferring the invisible essence of his mind through the access that we have through him, utilizing the death of Jesus Christ. He was our substitute, his death. And that's how I say, that's how we got reconciled back to God. This Lamb of God was the vehicle. That's why he says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Unless it goes through Jesus Christ, we can't get on the right path because Jesus Christ is the one that's talking or that conversing with the Holy Spirit because they're one. They're in perfect unity. They're in perfect harmony. 
They're in perfect love. Everything, perfection is there, but they're trying to transmit that over to us. They're writing the computer language that we assimilate and feed upon. It's our lifeline. That's our lifeline. He is by no means kidding about the importance of this process. That's why if your computer downloading something or whatever and the electricity go off or something happens, it could be 75 or 80 or 90%. But you notice that if it shuts down, the whole program shuts down and you can't keep that 60 or 70% that it already downloaded. In other words, that one discharge, that one cutoff, you have to start to download over again. Old process. It it has to stay. That's why it says, unless you abide in me, unless you abide in the vine, he's our source. We have to stay intact with him or we have no life in us. That's the only way we, we have to stay in him. He is helping us to understand that even as we are influenced by those around us, unless we are in the presence of God, we will not be influenced by him. If someone takes us out into the darkness, if we go into darkness, God doesn't go in darkness. And he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He didn't forsake you. You went in the darkness. Jesus Christ went in the depth. God didn't because our sin was laid up on him. That's what broke the, the union there. I was seen. So Jesus Christ was the one. So we were the cause of the forsaking of Jesus Christ. It was our sin that caused his death. It was us that caused his death. This is why it's so vital for us to share life with him. And that's why I say we have to be that sacrifice. Heavenly Father.